Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you teach us in your word, my God. It's just a blessing to delve into your word and, and see the truth illuminated. I pray that you would just illuminate this fundamental truth today, that we are to be your witnesses, and that you would use us, my God, especially during this time of year when the door is open, that we could share what the birth of Christ means to us. And Lord God, we just give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we recently finished up the Beatitudes, and which began, uh, again, as a progressive outline and description of the conviction, conversion, maturation, slash sanctification of the lost sinner who puts their faith in Christ. So that's what the Beatitude does. It shows us that we, our need for Christ and then takes us through the maturation process, if you will. And the last Beatitude left us with the knowledge that for all who desire to live a righteous life, for all those who identify with Jesus Christ, we will, to some degree or another, some form or another, face persecution along the way. And it's funny, my devotional reading this morning was in 2 Thessalonians, and he was talking about that to the church in Thessalonica, that because we represent Christ, because we kind of are going upstream like salmon, we are going to rub elbows or rub people the wrong way, and persecution can come in one form or the other. And Jesus was, uh, his teachings, and he sums it up on the Sermon on the Mount. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures from last week that we kind of, or two weeks ago, that reinforced this. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Again, one degree, another, one form of another. As I brought out, there are our brothers and sisters in certain parts of the globe are being martyred for their faith. And in John 15, 18, 21, he said, Jesus said this, If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they will obey you also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. So scripture is very clear. Very clear that at some point, oh, lovely message, Pastor. Yes, there will be some forms of persecution. Okay. And uh, we have seen it played out throughout history. If you look at the history of the church, the church has undergone persecution right up to the very day. And as I said, if you really look, I would say that Christians have been persecuted and killed more than any other group in history's sake, even though we know what happened in the Holocaust and so ever, but we have been targeted since the inception of the church. And now as we move on in the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus outlines our conversion and the sanctification, if you will, the understanding of the challenge of persecution for his namesake, he's now going to proceed into the essence of what he's called us to, that we are called to co-labor with him in this world really for the message of the gospel and as we'll see to be salt and light for those around us so we can share the good news of jesus christ so with that said please open up to matthew 5 and let's read verses 13 to 16. it says you are the salt of the earth but if the salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on the foot you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people um, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds. And what? 
glorify your Father who is in heaven. Family, even with the knowledge that in some way or some degree we will face resistance or challenge or even persecution, we are called to be a difference. We're called to make a difference for Jesus Christ. Amen? And why? To the glory of God our Father in heaven, so that God receives the glory and honor and praise. Church, we have been commissioned by Jesus himself to go and make disciples of all nations. We are his ambassadors. We are sent to those who are steeped in darkness and depravity with the message of the good news so they can be free, set free from that bondage that they're in. They don't even realize they're in bondage, but we have the good news to bring to them. Listen carefully. We are not called to sit on the laurels of our salvation and stay within the safe zone of these four walls. We are called to go and make disciples. It could be very easy just to come into the church and go home and play church, but the Lord has called us, called us to go and make disciples. But we must understand that he informs us it's not going to be easy. That's why he ends the Beatitudes with that, that we're going to face challenges, we're going to face persecutions. So basically what he's saying, are you up to the task? You have to understand this isn't easy peasy, you know, it's not the uh, prosperity gospel. There's going to be challenges along the way if you live for righteousness, if you live for Jesus Christ and promote his gospel. But he's saying, all right, are you ready? Are you up for the test? Did you consider the cost? You're going to put your hand to the plow and not look back if you're willing to serve me and follow me. So we have to really look into that. All right, but he informs us. Church, we are called to war, a war for souls. We are called to a war for souls against the adversary of our souls. And we're to put up a fight and advance the gospel and liberate those who are in bondage. They are in bondage. Jesus challenges us to this understanding, and we must consider the cost. And what do I mean? Salvation is free. It costs us nothing, but it cost him everything. Amen? But listen carefully, sanctification and being a disciple of Christ and a witness is an ongoing battle until the day we put our head on the pillow for the last time and the Lord calls us home. It's going to be a war. We're in a war, all right? And we're always going to be in it until we go home if we're willing to consider the cost and be a servant of Jesus Christ, amen? We'll battle the flesh. Think about it. As we look to be a living sacrifice and walk in the Spirit, this world is constantly bombarding us. I brought out a couple of weeks ago. We see over a thousand advertisements a day, whether it be on the phone, <laughs> not me, or uh, the computer or some other areas, reading the paper. We're bombarded. And what's it trying to do? Pound the lust of our eyes. Pound the lust of our, our, our flesh to get us to have that pride of life. Aha, look what I got. We're pounded. So we're going to have this constant battle against our flesh. We're also engaged in battles against the enemy of our soul, his cohorts, and those under his influence in a corrupt world system. So this is a war, and you've got to be girded up and ready for it. But listen carefully. We're called to fight the good fight, and we have been equipped. Do you hear me? We have been equipped in us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. In any or every situation that we face, whatever challenge, whatever form of persecution, the grace of God is made available to the church. And we also have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Marie, I'm going to use you. The other day, Marie was in, uh, talking to a friend, and all of a sudden, the Spirit came, and she just started spouting Scripture. She said, where did this come from? It came from the Holy Spirit. 
And the word of God flowed and she shared the gospel with this person. Amen? And that's what God does. We have the spirit of God, the word of God, and the grace of God available. We have been equipped for this battle. We don't stand here defeated as we sang, victory, victory. We're already conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen? But we're in a war. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, that it talks about the word of God. If though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, the divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We have spiritual weapons to fight a spiritual war. And it can demolish strongholds. They can bring down, Dominic, they can bring down the things that are keeping your wife from her and praying for her and praying for her and sharing and being the man of God I know you are in your home and pray that she comes to salvation faith. Amen? We have the word of God, the grace of God, and the spirit of God to fight this war. And like any war, we have to, listen, we have to engage in the battle. We have to engage in the battle because to liberate those who are in bondage. And if we think we can, again, just remain in the camp of these four walls, we're mistaken. We're not called to do that. We're called to go. And listen to me carefully. The Lord may use circumstances or even persecution if we sit on our laurels and do not get out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen it in the Word. He did it in the first century. The early church had to be reminded of their call. To go ye into all the worlds. You know what the disciples were doing? Read. They were gathering. They were sitting and going into the temple. They were going into the upper room. They were praying. They were eating. But they were not fulfilling the commission that God called them to. Go out into Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth and share the gospel. But they were content. They saw the church growing. They were sitting there and the church was growing. But they didn't get out of Jerusalem. So what did the Lord have to do? Send a little persecution. Listen to Acts 2, 42 to 47. Speaking of the early church, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were doing the right thing. Everyone was filled with awe and at the many wonders and signs that the apostles were doing and gave to each other that were in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. They were praising God, enjoying the favor of the people, and the Lord had added to their number daily. That sounds wonderful, doesn't it? So... Why the persecution? Because they weren't doing what they were called to do, to go beyond the walls of the temple, beyond the city of Jerusalem. And if we look at uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, after the stoning of Stephen, listen to what it says. Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So how does this relate to us? And it's this. Each one of us, has a call on our life. First and foremost is to be molded into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God wants for us fundamentally, is to be molded into the image of his son. All right? But also, what did Jesus tell us right before he ascends? Go and make disciples of all nations. All of us are called to that. All of us are called to that. Amen? Each one of us has different gifts, talents, and abilities, right? And it'll put us in a different occupation, social strata, or even a sphere of influence. Look around the church. Teachers, police, firemen, accountants, right? Stay-at-home moms. Let me keep going. We have all different occupations that put us in a sphere of influence that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
right? So God sets us. He gives us those talents and abilities, leads us into certain occupations that we can then be in a sphere of influence where we can share Jesus, all righty? So we, whatever the occupation, we will come in contact with different groups of people who are unsaved. So are we bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who don't know him? So now with this understanding, let's relate it to the portion of Scripture that we're talking about in Matthew 5, where he says, we are the salt. We are the light of the world to those around us. So let's look at these metaphors more closely. First one, it says, you are the salt of the earth. Now we have to understand, there were like 11 different uses of salt back in the ancient days, and many of them are still used today. All righty? But this reference... Salt of the earth in the context of Matthew 5.13 and parallel scriptures shows us that it, what Jesus said to them back then, to the disciples, that you are the salt of the earth, continues to apply to us today in 2019. We now are the salt of the earth. We're carrying the torch, if you will. First of all, we have to understand what salt was. It was very valuable. It was a valuable commodity. All righty? It was even used in bartering, where I would pay you in salt for, say, something else. And Roman soldiers were often paid in salt because it was that valuable. Do you ever hear, let me give you a little side, do you ever hear the expression, he's not worth his salt? Well, that's where it comes from, that if a soldier wasn't doing what he was supposed to do or carrying his load, he wasn't worth his salt. In other words, he wasn't earning his salary in salt. So it was a valuable commodity. So how does that relate to us? How does that apply to us? First of all, church, we are valuable in the eyes of our Father. Do you hear me? God has chosen us out of the world. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. And to the Father, we are valuable. He loves us. Even in our shortcomings, even in our errors at times and our, and our falls, He loves us and we are valuable to Him. Let that be a source of blessing. I wanted to say that this morning. Do you realize that God, our Father, loves each and every one of us with an eternal love? We are valuable to Him. Carry that. Don't let the guilt and the shame of maybe things of the past or when we stumble in sin, He forgives us and we are valuable to God, our Father. Amen? And second, listen to me, as Christ's disciples, and I was looking for a, a right word, but this is the word I came up with. God has entrusted us with the most valuable commodity given to man. Do you hear me? And he's instructed us to share it, to give it away. And this commodity is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's given us something valuable. God our Father, but we are valuable to men also because we bring to them the second, we are probably the second most valuable asset to the human community because we bring the gospel of Jesus Christ who is the first most valuable to the human community. And God has entrusted that, us with that value, that valuable commodity to bring this gospel, the gospel of his son, to the, a dying world. So we are not only valuable in God's eyes, but even though the world may see it, we are valuable to them because we're bringing them the gift of the gospel. Amen? Imagine, I have it down here. Mike, imagine if we had the cure for Alzheimer's and dementia. Imagine if we had the cure for cancer and all we did was sit in our living room. Wouldn't you want to run out and say, ha, ah, look, all those children that we pray for and people we pray for for cancer, we have the answer. People with dementia and Alzheimer that's affecting, it's a terrible disease, we have the answer. Well, people have an eternal condemnation sitting on them. 
eternal death sitting on them, and we have the answer. So we should bring it. Amen? Praise the Lord. And one point Jesus is uh, looking to make to all his disciples through the ages is that as valuable as salt is to people in the ancients of days, so are we. That's how valuable the gospel is. That he says, you're the salt of the earth. Because of that, he's trying to stress the point that that's how valuable the good news is. Do you realize what I'm saying here? Silver, rubies, you name it, we carry the most valuable thing in our repertoire, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have been commissioned to bring this to others. And now let's focus, let's just look at a couple of points on the uses of salt and then make some analogies for practical application. First of all, listen carefully. Salt was used to preserve or slow down or stop the decaying process. So what can we take from this statement for us? We take the message of the gospel. We should live the message of the gospel to help preserve our society from moral decay, to help preserve the scriptures. We're out in society. As we live it, as we share it, we're trying to slow down the decaying process of our society by living it, being the example of it, and then sharing it with others. Why? So that they can come to salvation, faith, and stop the decay of sin in their own lives by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. To avoid going down the consequential roads of not knowing Jesus. We can help people as they come to faith by putting their faith in Christ through the gospel message to stop the decaying process of sin in their lives. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. And listen, just as salt is thrown into food and permeates it, let our lives permeate where we are in our strata, in our social structure, on the job, that we permeate that environment with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they see Christ in us, we can share the gospel with them, even if they mock, even if they laugh, even if persecution or challenge comes, let them see Christ in you, amen, and share the gospel. Look at the effect that the gospel has had on many in this congregation. Many of us walked in a different way of life, but when that gospel, we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were forgiven, and decay of sin was slowed down and in some areas stopped in our lives. It's a miracle of God, amen? And we have that, and we can share that with others. Look at the divorce rate out there. Look at the things that are going on in our world. Oh, wait, wait till we get to the portion of marriage. You guys are going to throw me out of the church. Wait till we start talking about that. It's a, it's a sanctified unity by God. Amen? But look what's happening to our marriages out there. 50% even in the church are getting divorces. All right. Sorry, that was an aside. Okay. Family, very simply, salt was used to help that. Listen, which, which is perishable? To, because those who are going to perish, those who are going to decay, through the gospel, have the hope of eternal life. Amen? So it's a preservation factor. And now let me give you one side effect of salt. And I think we all know it. Get too much salt in your food, and what happens? You get thirsty. So what's one of the blessings of this salt of the gospel? It should make us thirsty for Jesus Christ. 
we should just want to consume. Like the deer panteth for water that wants that drink. We should want the, the drink of living water just to consume us and permeate us. Amen? So as we come to be salted in the gospel, it should give us such a desire for the word of God, for Christ himself. And I, I, have down, I had down in here, and we could say amen, but we should be saying, Oh me, I desire more of Jesus. I desire more of his word to be filled with him. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. We should desire that living water daily, be in the word, daily our relationship with Christ so that we become more like him. And you know something? As we become more like him, we are saltier to those around us. And as we'll see, we are a more illuminated light to those around us. We're not a five-watt bulb. We're a hundred-watt bulb. In my case, maybe a two-watt bulb. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right. All right, let's go on. See, that salt was also used as a means of purification. If we study Old Testament scriptures, and this is more than likely the main thrust of what Jesus was saying, is that salt is to be used as a purifying agent. This wool, right? It's white like snow, and it's also white like the robes of those who are talked about in Revelation. So listen to Isaiah 118. It says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall become what? White as snow, as though they were, um, though they were, were as crimson, they shall be like wool. Revelation 7, 13 and 14. Then one of the elders asked me, These in the white robes, these in the white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know, he said, These are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So again, speaking of being purified, a purification. Exodus 30, 34 and 35 says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, Annika and Galbanum, and pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer, is to be salted and pure and sacred. So again, salt, referring to the fact. All righty? And then if you jump, jump, to Second Kings. This is uh, the prophet Elisha. It says, look, our Lord, this town is well situated, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha says, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. This is what the Lord says. I have healed this water. Never again will it cause death or make the land unproductive. And, and the water has remained pure to this day, according to the word of Elisha. So if we look back at these Old Testament scriptures, a lot of times salt is referencing purification. And the rituals, purification, as we see here in Elijah, making the water good. All right? So what's, again, it's alluding to the fact that what Jesus is saying is just as salt goes into the world and makes things pure, I'm sending you into an impure world to try to stop the decay and make it holy by faith in the gospel. Family, just as Elisha threw salt into the bad water and by the power of God it was made pure, so we, being the salt of the earth, are sent into a corrupted world, a decaying world, to try to help it become pure through the gospel. As people put their faith in Jesus, they get his imputed righteousness and then live a godly life. Amen? So we are trying to help in the purification process of those around us. Now, in many ways, the reference of salt being used as a preservative overlaps that of purification. And why? We are called to be holy as he is holy. We are to permeate our spheres of influence, whether it be at home, work environment, social gatherings, and be the aroma of Christ. Listen, with a desire 
to be an influence on those around us with a desire to share Jesus with those around us in our lifestyles and how we are so that they can also come to faith in Jesus Christ. And please listen carefully. In conjunction with our lifestyle, I believe one of the greatest things that God has given us, the church, to help in a world that is decaying is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. God hears and God moves. Why do you think prayer is under attack? There are some churches don't even have prayer meetings anymore. Prayer becomes like, oh, it's one of those things we do. But no, it's got power. We're coming before the throne of God and interceding for what's happening in our society today. So prayer is very powerful, and I believe in my heart that we do take prayer too lightly. I believe that the underlying issue that we don't see a response to some of the things we ha- see happening in our society is because God's people aren't coming together fasting and praying and seeking Him. Could you imagine? Can you imagine if the God's people came together and really in unity were crying after God on a continual basis for God to move upon what we see happening? I believe we would see a hand or move of God in our nation. Instead of getting involved in political figures or political issues or social movements or just giving mere moral lip service, we need to come together as the body of Christ and pray, and I believe we'll see God's hand move. Amen? Praise the Lord. I really do. I believe in the power of prayer. Excuse me. Listen to Second Chronicles. Which many of us could probably quote the first two lines, 7, 14, and 15. It says, If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and first turn from our wicked ways. All right? Then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and what? I will hear their lands. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Family, do we believe that? That if we come together and pray, It turns God's head towards what we're praying, his heart to what we're praying, and he moves upon this request. So if the people of God in our nation that claim to be Christians would come and fast and pray, we may see some of these things changing in our society. Instead, Satan's moving and advance forward, as we do see, because I believe that God's people aren't coming together and really seeking him in prayer. What would happen if we took holiness so serious that like salt it would permeate every part of our lives every part of our church so that Christians would be more concerned about representing Christ and the things he desires. Don't you think that we would see major changes around us? Amen? So it's just a call for us to be holy as he is holy, even if it's just this little local expression. And it morphed into what is now the assemblies. Amen? So it can start with a few. And if you want to look at the opposite, to see what happens when Christians aren't involved, when we don't pray, and when we're not in society making a difference, just catch a glimpse of what's going to happen to our societies after the rapture. Christians will be taken out. The Holy Spirit's going to stop his restraining power. Can you imagine the chaos, the violence, the corruption that it's going to be like when there's no Christians here to be salt and light? It's going to be anarchy, severe anarchy. So we do make a difference. Don't give up. We make a difference. We can make a difference in one life. Marie, you don't know if that woman's going to come to salvation. You could have made a difference in one life by sharing the gospel with her. And then you just leave it up to the Holy Spirit to do what he does best, convict. Amen? But we do make a difference. I mean, just next time, I know it's simple. Hold the door open for somebody 
And I, Jordan, I'm sure you've done it, where you hold the door open for, say, an older woman walking in, and like, oh, chivalry's not dead. But it opens a door, if you will, no pun intended, to show Christ in you. Amen? I'm off on a tangent again. All right. But that said, oftentimes we may say, how did we come so far as a nation? And the only ones we can blame are us. Amen? And whether you believe it or not, or no matter how much they try to rewrite history, this country was founded on Jesus Christ and biblical principles. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, every congressional meeting was started with prayer. A bill couldn't make it to the floor if it wasn't backed by a biblical principle. God was a foundation. Look at George Washington's farewell address. He warns us that a country that without God will fall. Abraham Lincoln, go through the presidents. It's only up until the last 60, 70 years we see this waning away. But our nation was built on Jesus Christ. And listen, when salt loses its flavor, its use as a preservative or purifying agent, its effectiveness is nullified and made useless. You hear me? And then decay and corruption take place, and that's what we have seen over the last 60 years in our own nation. As they moved God out in 1962 when they removed prayer, as they moved the principles of God's word, as they take down his commandments, look, we see it in its effect, cause and effect. Take God out of the picture, society decays. We need to be salt and light. We need to bring the gospel. We need to be Jesus to those out there so we can snatch some from the fire. Amen? So that we can make a difference. Now let's look what Jesus says concerning the salt losing its favor as we look at this passage. It says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It no, is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What the Lord is stating here is that if the purpose for which the salt was to be used is rendered ineffective, then it becomes useless and unproductive. And the verb Losing, when it says salt, losing its flavor, it's not talking about um, losing its flavor. Listen to what it says in the original language. It's used to actually mean, this word, morantheia, means this, to become foolish or to become mentally incapacitated. So what it's saying, and it's not talking to somebody's intellect. It's talking to someone being morally depraved or morally inefficient, insufficient. So it's not talking about intellect. It's saying when salt loses its flavor, we become morally deficient. As a, as a person or as a church. And church, what Jesus is saying here in Matthew, this is what happens when an individual and or a body, when they turn from the things of the Lord, from desiring a sanctified life, from a focus on the Lord and his commission, we lose our saltiness. We become fools. We become morally deficient. And we become ineffective for Christ and unproductive in the sharing of the gospel. He's saying maintain your holiness. Maintain your witness for Christ. Don't become unproductive and inefficient, insufficient in the proclamation of the gospel and for my kingdom. We have to stay on fire for Jesus. Be in his word. Be in the prayer meetings. Come on a Sunday. Do get together and become more like Christ and go out there and continue to be that salt. Even if you think you're not making a difference, you are. You are. And then share the gospel with whoever, whenever. That's what we're called to do. Amen? And listen what the Lord says about an ineffective batch of salt. It no, is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And you know what that means? That much of the salt was impure. And it wasn't good to barter or to use. So what they would do, because there was enough salt to maybe kill foliage, they would do is throw it along the... But it had no real use for bartering or in the house. So they'd throw it between the pavements. 
and it was trampled underfoot. So it's just to be thrown out. And when we don't remain salty in God's eyes, he's saying, you become ineffective. You can't do what I've called you to do. You might as well just be thrown on the path. And the analogy is obvious. If we live a complacent life, wavering in our sanctification, our witness will be compromised and will be as ineffective as a batch of salt that is thrown and trampled underfoot. I have down here, a hypocritical life doesn't carry much weight. An unsanctified light doesn't carry much weight. Basically, we're not worth our salt. So we want to live a sanctified life and make it the church. We want to remain salty and effective, not letting down our moral or spiritual guard. But instead, we want to grow in Christ and surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we remain salty in our society. We have to stay strong right now. You see the war that is being waged. Morals are decaying. Our kids are being introduced to things that are, are ridiculous. So we have to stay strong, especially in the time we live in. All right, Because society is decaying around us. Don't let your guard down. And only an individual, a church, a society, a nation that is grounded in Christ can avoid the disasters of moral and spiritual decay. It's all about him. He's the moral thread of what this society is supposed to be. And whether you like it or not, we are called to be the ones to be the salt of the earth. That's our commission. Even if we're shaken out in order to further the gospel. Do you hear me? Even if we're shaken out. And to reinforce this point, Jesus uses another metaphor. and says, not only are you the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. The light of the world. And let me ask you a question. Who's the true light? Come on now. Jesus. Good answer. Good answer. Jesus, right? He's the light of the world. Listen, Isaiah 9, 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawn. It's reiterated in Mark 4, 16. John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to him, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then John 12, 46, I, came, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Will not remain in darkness. Jesus is the light. And in the Old Testament, light meant revelation and instruction. He came to reveal himself. He came to reveal the truth of the scriptures. Wait till next week when we look at the scripture, when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He came to show that he was the fulfillment of all that is written in Moses and the prophets. And then he instructed the disciples on how to be, that it's faith, that it's holy living. So not only did he reveal the truth of the scriptures, he taught, read the gospels. He's instructing us how to live a sanctified life. Revelation and instruction. Amen? And this metaphor, light, is so apropos for two reasons. Listen carefully. Not only does light expose darkness, it conquers it. Do you hear me? Not only does it expose it, it conquers it. Think about it. You can be in a, let me get this right, hon, pitch dark room. All right, I keep saying pitch black. No, it's pitch dark, not pitch black. A pitch dark room. And you could flip a, a lighter. And what happens? It illuminates. And people can see. Yes? Because light shines in darkness. And church, this is exactly what Jesus is saying here. It exposes darkness. It exposes sin when we give the gospel. Amen? 
And not, don't, not only expose it, guess what? When people accept the gospel of truth, it conquers darkness. It conquers death. It conquers the effect of Satan over their lives. It conquers the effect of sin over their lives. Light conquers darkness. Amen? Wow, you guys, what do I have to do? Dance up here to get you going? All right? Listen. Unfortunately, many close their eyes. And they want to keep their eyes shut and not look at the light. They want to walk in darkness. They'd rather live in darkness. It's sad, but it's true. Listen to John 3.19. This is judgment. The light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, for their deeds are evil. Kind of parallels what is said in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Why do they suppress the truth? They want to live in darkness, even though God has revealed himself in the creation, it tells us in Romans, in our conscience in Romans 2, in the word of God, and in God himself walked amongst us and his historical figure. They can read about Jesus in history. But what do they do? They love darkness. They love their wicked deeds. So they suppress it and close their eyes to the Lord. We don't know whose eyes will be open when we live as the light of the world. You hear me? We don't know whose eyes will be open. Jesus ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he's calling us to be the light because the light of Christ lives in us and he wants us to illuminate it to those around us. And we're not to hide our light under a bushel. A city on a hill is seen. So Jesus wants us to be seen. He wants us to be out there with the light of Christ, sharing it with others. Amen? And listen carefully. Very important. We're just not a reflection of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit that Christ shines through us. Because what happens if you walk into a dark room? You can't reflect the thing. But if Christ lives in you and is shining through you, guess what? It lights up that room. So we're not just a reflection of Jesus. We let Christ dwell in us and live in us and through us and then we illuminate the light of Christ to others because he dwells within us. Yes? We all know the scripture verse about the vine and the branches that you know, he is the vine we are the branches we can't do anything. Where are you Wade? Well let's think of the Lord as an electrical source and we're the light bulbs and when the Lord flows through us that light being a reflection. And Listen. The greater that light, that greater that flow of electricity, the greater we illuminate. So the more we become more like Christ, the more we live like Christ, that light's going to shine brighter to a decaying world. And some will be offended by it because you're going against their lifestyle, and some will listen and say, hmm, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to be set free. And we can then lead them and disciple them. Amen? And then when we go and do these good works that God has prepared for us advanced to do, People will see the work of Jesus Christ in us and through us and may desire to come and know our Savior. But if they don't see the light and they don't taste the salt, they're never going to know Jesus Christ from us anyway. Unless Christ, as we sum up this morning, the Lord said to us, we are salt and we are light, each one of us as an individual and corporately as a church. We have been commissioned to reveal the truth of the gospel to a world steeped in darkness and decay and we're called to instruct those who believe, right? And make disciples wherever and whatever sphere of influence the Lord puts us in, no matter the cost. 
There's nothing that can compare to the cost of a human soul. You hear me? One soul is worth anything we can even imagine financially, economically. So this morning, let us grasp what the Lord is saying to us here and let us purpose to go and be salt and light to family, friends, co-workers, and ready even to our enemies because they need to come to salvation faith. Jesus didn't just die for the goody two-shoes for our families and friends. He died for those who are enemies of the cross. And guess what? Which we were. So even our enemies, we share the gospel with. We don't want to see one soul go to hell. So when we, again, and I brought this out a couple of weeks ago, some of our brothers and sisters being martyred, when they see that, people who are martyring them, they come to faith in Christ because of the witness of the martyred Christian. Amen? In church, what we commemorate at this table this morning, what we celebrate this morning, who we celebrate this morning, laid the groundwork for the message that we bring. Amen? Through his ministry, his finished work on a hill called Golgotha, and his resurrection from the dead, the truth of the gospel has been revealed, and we have been privy to take that and instruct others. We come here this morning to celebrate at the table of communion, and we remember what Christ did for us. But let's also remember that he instructed us to go and bring the same good news so that others can come to this table and have the hope and share an eternal life. Every day, every day, more opioid addictions. Every day, more stabbings and shootings. People can be set free from these things, but it's only through a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you hold the key. I hold the key. Are we going to be willing to be salt and light for those around us, no matter who they are? Even the guy who offends you and cuts you off and steals your place in line or flips you to bird or whatever it is, right? We got to be Christ-like and not respond in the flesh. Amen? Salt and light. Salt and light. Let's pray and prepare ourselves for communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you this morning. We thank you that you called us out of darkness. You called us out of darkness. Many here could testify to the lifestyles we once lived and what you've done in our lives to set us free. Lord, you called us out of darkness. You have permeated our lives with the salt of the gospel. And now you are asking us to go and be light for those who are in darkness. To be salt so that we stop the decaying process in a person's life. And that we help them to preserve eternal life in you. Lord God, use us. Use us to bring this wonderful gospel message. Help us, O oh God, we pray, to be that salt and light. Let us develop that holiness in our own lives. And let us not fear man, but fear you, Lord God, who have called us to this task. And Lord, no matter what comes our way, we know that your grace is always available. We are filled with you, Holy Spirit. And we have the word of God to bring down strongholds and arguments. Let us be girded up in all three, my God. And we just thank you this morning, Lord. We thank you this morning. And we just give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And it's in Jesus' name we say, amen and amen. So being that it is communion, all we ask is that your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that is true, then I'm going to ask you at this time to come up and take of the elements and hold on to them till we all are seated. Por favor, please, si vous play. Wow, that was a shorty. Thank you.